Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad you're here. I would like to extend a special welcome to our visitors this morning. If you have any questions about this denomination or about this church in particular, please see the friendly, knowledgeable, and good-looking people at the um, visitor table, and they will help you out. Likewise, if you have been coming here for a while and you feel that you would like to make this your spiritual home, either speak to me about becoming a member or speak to the friendly and knowledgeable and good-looking people at the visitor table. We stand in a broad stream of history and tradition in a faith that teaches that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is as part of that tradition that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say the words with me by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. May we be reminded here of our highest aspirations and inspired to bring our gifts of love and service to the altar of humanity. May we know once again that we are not isolated beings, but connected in mystery and miracle to the universe, to this community, and to each other. Our mission is what tells us what to spend our money and our time and our effort on as we work with this congregation. Our mission tells us this is what we do and who we are, and this is not what we do and who we are not. How do you know what the mission is? We say it every Sunday together. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. As you listen to these, <clears throat> these words from Hugh Prather, please have in your mind a person whose name you know. I must do these things in order to communicate. Become aware of you. Discover you. Make you aware of me. Uncover myself. Be ready to change during our conversation and be willing to reveal my changes to you. For communication to have meaning, it must have a life. It must transcend you and me and become us. If I truly communicate, I see in you a life that is not me and partake of it, and you see and partake of me. In a small way, we then grow out of our old selves and become something new. To have this kind of sharing, I cannot enter a conversation clutching myself. I must give myself to the relationship and be willing to be what grows out of it. To have this kind of sharing, I cannot enter a conversation clutching myself. I must give myself to the relationship and be willing to be what grows out of it. 
I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a presidential election coming up. <laughs> One of the big kerfuffles during the convention week was that the, the Democrats ha- didn't have God in their platform. They'd taken, well, it wasn't God, the God language. They'd put God language in, then they took it out. They got a lot of flack. They put it back in. Um, I'm going to talk to you today about why they had to put it back in. Um, As the Paradox Players piece said, in politics, God has to be sprinkled all over everything like ketchup. It's very important to the voters that candidates believe in God. Not too much, but just enough in kind of a vague way. Every speech has to end with, God bless you and God bless America. And I I don't really hear them saying, God bless the USA, God bless America, so I think they're including South America. I'm not sure. Um, The reason for this is that there is an American religion, or a religion of the American way. It acts a lot like a religion. It looks like a religion. It's held deeply like a religion, you have to speak about it in broad, sweeping language, beautiful language that sounds biblical but isn't really biblical. U.S. Uh, University of California, Berkeley, sociologist Robert Bella is one who first wrote an article about this in the 60s, so it's almost 50 years ago. He wrote an article about this called American Civil Religion. And In doing this article, he gave us a way of seeing things. He used concepts from Alexis de Tocqueville and Rousseau, but he he put it in terms of this nation, in terms of how we do things, and it gave rise to an ongoing conversation about American civil religion. It's made up of stories and images that are collectively believed in and sentimentally held. You can tell when a belief is sentimentally held because the person is not just uh, offended when you say something that contradicts their belief. Their feelings are actually hurt. Their feelings are hurt when you say something that goes against these sentimentally held myths. The myth is a collective, collectively believed uh, thing. These myths of our American culture. These myths are meant to orient us as Americans In the world, here's our place, here's who we are, here's our reason for being, here's what's expected of us. Um, If you say anything that goes against the tenets of the American way, which I imagine one or two of you have said in in your lifetime, you can tell that you've violated the tenets because the temperature in the room drops about 10 degrees. And people act as if you've committed a faux pas. Some people will come at you directly about it, and other people will just pretend you've you've had a really bad haircut, and they will ignore you (laughs) until it grows back. There's no particular church or institution involved in this religion of the American way. Um, Many Protestant churches feed it by having an American flag in the sanctuary and a Christian flag in the sanctuary together. Um, they pray for the government, and they um, 
teach their folks that the people in government office are there because God put them there. I think that's been challenged since 2008. I'm not sure that they still teach that. The culture feeds the American civil religion with rituals and commemorations and images. The high holy days of this religion are 4th of July, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, and inaugurals. These are the high holy days when you'll see all of this come out in, in high dudgeon. What is expected of Americans is honesty, sacrifice, hard work, loyalty to the tenets of the American way. The chief of these tenets is that anybody can make it in America with a little luck and a lot of hard work. That is one of the most deeply held among these tenets, and it will not get you elected if you go against that. We are a God-fearing people like the founders of this nation. We are champions of religious liberty, a nation that God has mandated to carry out a special mission in the world. We have a classless society. (laughs) Capitalism is God's favorite economic plan. Anyone can strike it rich. Our way of life is the best. America is God's chosen and blessed nation, the new Israel. If you will look at the somewhat uncomfortable picture on the front of your bulletin, you will see a depiction of Rabbi Jesus looking kind of like Chuck Norris, (laughs) holding an American flag. Now, try to imagine this picture with Jesus holding the Canadian flag, or Somali flag, or the flag from Nepal. It, it's a picture of how Jesus likes America best. This is a tenet of American civil religion. We are God's favorite and chosen. Now, anybody will tell you Jesus loves the little children, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Um, Jesus loves the little children of the world, but he loves little American children the best. And really, um, he loves rich little American children best. (laughs) There's a largely unspoken tenet of American civil religion, which comes directly from the English Puritans. And that is that God shows his blessing on a person by making them healthy and wealthy. This is not in the Bible. This is just in the heads of the Puritans. This is how you can tell if you're blessed by God. And so, therefore, if you get sick or if you are poor, you are somehow, by correlation, uh, unblessed, unfavored. This is why American politics continually struggles with helping the poor and punishing the poor. It's in our DNA. This American civil religion. I'm supposed to help the poor, but they did something wrong because they're unblessed. So I can forget about them for long stretches of time, except for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then we'll drop a little care package on their door. And I think it'll be interesting to see how this view shifts 
of wealth making you blessed, as it sinks into the American consciousness that the enormous global reserves of oil are under Muslim countries. Are they now God's favorite? Is it a test? How can we keep our civil religion faced with the reality of the world? Oh, we're going to do it. I know we can. I have absolutely no doubt, but it's going to take some gymnastics and some denial. (laughs) One way in which the Occupy movement is irritating to everyone is that it keeps holding up this mirror to our society, which eats away at the American way like acid, in that it says, there's the 1% and then there's the 99%, and no matter how hard some people work, They're not going to be part of the 1%. That goes against the American way. Pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, they're pointing out that corporations receive public assistance, that banks have been bailed out, that people are falling, the banks are too big to fail. It's causing resentment. It's starting to cause resentment. Not revolution, because we have the lottery. The lottery is the opiate of the masses, in my opinion, because everybody wants to protect the rich because you're going to be there one day when you win the lottery. So you don't want to take any privileges from the rich people because you are a temporarily embarrassed millionaire (laughs) till you hit it. When a candidate is out of touch with average people, We want our candidates, you know, we want our candidates to believe in God, but not too much. And we want them to have money, but not too much. And we want them to be regular people, but not too, kind of special, regular, kind of special, but regular. (laughs) And so they can lose big points by seeming out of touch with the regular people. I don't know if you remember when George Herbert Walker Bush was portrayed as being, I'm I'm hearkening back to a safer candidate to talk about, was... (laughs) was portrayed as being too rich, too out of touch. They said he was amazed when he went in the grocery store that there were scanners. You know, he just was amazed. That turns out to be hoax. Snopes.com says it's not true. But he lost a lot of points when that story came out. People expect you to be a regular person, only not really. So you're going to hear civil religion preached over and over and over again until our election. Some people in their speeches will describe the view of justice that come, probably nobody will describe the biblical view of justice, that um, trickle-down economics is wicked and will send you to hell. That was the story of the beggar at the gate who got the crumbs from the rich man's table, and he went to heaven, the rich man went to hell. That's a whole other sermon. But... (laughs) The biblical view of justice, that every seven years, everyone's debts should be forgiven completely. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, student loan holders. <laughs> no, most of the, the uh, views of justice you'll hear are from the English Puritans, which say, uh, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you heard that one. And God helps those who help themselves. Where is that in the Bible? Nowhere. Who said it? Benjamin Franklin. Many people don't know that. 
Um, most Americans have a kind of a, a feeling that there should be justice. So you have to say there should be justice without being too specific about what it would look like. And most Americans are kind of for peace. So you have to be for peace without being too specific about what it would look like. And most Americans, 90% of Americans, according to this study, said that they wish there were fewer hungry people in the world. 90%. 90. What are those other 10% of the people wishing? Doesn't it make you pause? Or are they like, I think there are about enough, uh, just the right amount of hungry people in the world. (laughs) It boggles my mind. Now, another area where the candidates have to be very careful is with religious tolerance. Because religious tolerance is an American value. Religious tolerance is not a Christian or biblical value. Not. You might be surprised by that. So they have to kind of walk carefully because their evangelical base is not for religious tolerance. But their kind of vaguely American civil religion base that doesn't want them to be too Christian, just kind of vaguely believe in God, that's good. Don't be not believing in God, that's bad. Um, They would lose votes. You could tell they don't want you to be too Christian because of Mike Huckabee in the last election. He uh, was saying the Constitution should be rewritten to be more like the Bible. And, um, and he lost even South Carolina. So he, he alarmed people, went, went too far. So most of them will stick to saying vague things like um, our way is the best way. Other people would be... Better off if they did things the way we do. Um, Nobody will point out the wrongs that America has done in the world. Nobody will point out, for example, unless they want to lose, that Denmark has the highest uh, rating of citizen happiness. Uh, That the French have internet blazing fast, much faster than ours. That German telephones, uh, cell phones have 300 hours of battery. Um, I'm not sure about that one, but this guy in a campground who was German told me that about his cell phone. (laughs) See, now he had been in the woods for five days in the woods in Denali with his phone. And I'm like, how did you get it to charge up? Do you have a solar thing? He says, my my phone has 500 hours of battery. So I I thought he was probably exaggerating. So I took it to 300, but I have no idea. I'm going to find out though. Because we just assume that Americans should have the best, right? We should have the best one, and the one we have should be the best. And if somebody else's is better, that's not right. It goes against the American way, right? You won't get elected if you say that some people can't make it in America no matter how hard they try. That some people just need help and can't contribute. That two-thirds of welfare recipients are children, that freedom, in the, in freedom of religion in the U.S. should also include freedom from religion. That teen pregnancy rates are lowest in countries that have the highest, most comprehensive sex education. These truths would be death to a candidacy. Because they violate the tenets of American civil religion. And the reason I'm talking to you about this is because 
Usually, Unitarian Universalists value clarity, and they want to know what's happening behind the scenes. And so I'm giving you this information just so that you can look for it now. Just see what you think and see if you can recognize, oh, that's American civil religion I'm seeing right there. I think it's interesting. So let's be on the lookout this upcoming month. Um, And God bless us all, and God bless the USA. Now will you please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. My friends, there are times that our lives feel completely out of control. There are times when we feel alone. There are times when everything falls apart, and I want to tell you, it's temporary. Also, the times when everything seems wonderful and everything is coming together, it's also temporary. We do our best. We help each other. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.com dot o r g